Brilliant. Thank you, Tim. Uh, I'm just going to make sure I'm in the right position for Matt because he told me that I needed to, so bear with me. Da -da -da. There we go. Brilliant. It's so good to see you all. Um, I preached at the 9.30 this morning, which is not my usual crowd, so I feel more at home. The home crowd here at the Five. So really nice to see everyone. Um, as Tim mentioned, my name is uh, Lucy, and I've been part of the St. Dee's congregation for about seven years, um, and I love it. It's been my place of refuge in some very painful times. It's been a place of celebration and joyful times and everything in between. So it's such a blessing to be part of St. Dee's. For my job, I am a director at Home for Good, uh, which is a charity with a big vision to find a home for every child uh, in the care system in the UK through fostering and adoption and supported lodgings for teenagers. I absolutely love my job. It's one of those like where kind of cooling and the things that you're quite good at kind of intersect and um, I feel really blessed to have it. So some of what I think about and what I'm learning at my job might sort of slip into this sermon um, as we go along. So a bit of a warning there. Um, I'm just going to say, actually, this is a message that's, that's very much on my heart, and I know it's a bit of a cheesy Christian phrase, but I feel real kind of weight in my heart this evening for this message, so I just want to say that first out. It's one of my favorite things to talk about, what I'm talking about this evening. Um, it's something that, actually, I believe that God is calling me to talk about more, um, and particularly because it's cut, this sort of message has come out of a place of my life not turning out quite how I thought it would, and of that being quite a painful journey, but also a really beautiful journey with Jesus, as he's just taught me more and wider my perspective um, on this stuff that we're going to talk about this evening. So the subject I was given for this talk is the missional family. Uh, we have spent many weeks now thinking about the parable of the running father, the prodigal son as it was called. We've renamed it. Brilliant. Great rebrand there. Um, and, and just really thinking about the different things that this powerful story tells us about the love and the commitment of Father God to his people. And one of the many things this story about is about is family in its complexity and its dynamics. Um, and so I'm going to kind of round off this series uh, uh, this evening thinking about family we speak a lot about family. As a culture, we love the concept. I don't know if anyone else enjoys this, but I love the TV show First Dates. It's one of my favorite TV shows. There's a new season that I didn't know was out, and it was an absolute thrill when I discovered that it was out. So many episodes to watch, but it's basically a very simple uh, concept where a load of cameras are set up in a restaurant, and people get set up on a blind date, and then it's filmed. And it's usually incredibly awkward, usually actually incredibly sweet. There's some incredible stories that people tell, but all Almost universally, every single person on this first date says, family is really important to me. And that's either because they've had a great experience of family or because they haven't had a great experience of family. But regardless of our own experiences, family is important. And there will be those of us that here this evening for whom our experience of family is painful, some who've been badly let down, some for whom the idea of church as family is actually really hard to imagine because of your experiences that you've had. But what I hope to offer this evening is a reimagining of family that gets us somewhere towards God's vision for family, something that might look very different from our own experiences so far. So tonight we're going to have a think about what the Bible has to say about family and what God thinks about family and what that has to do with mission. That's the kind of space that we're going to be in today. So let's just get to the passage. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Uh, if you want to find it in the Bibles, it's page 922. Um, so do, I'll just give you a moment to flick through to page 922. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. And it says... 
Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And I just want to add a second short verse into the mix for this evening, which is half of uh, verse 6 of Psalm 68, which simply says, God sets the lonely in families. God sets the lonely in families. And so we're going to spend some time thinking about what mission is, kind of based on this passage, and what family has to do with it. Because I believe that these passages, and in fact, the kind of whole narrative arc of the Bible, tell us that a kingdom-soaked vision of family is right at the heart of our missional call as Christians. So we're going to start by working our theological muscles a bit. As uh, Tim said, I love theology. I'm studying a master's in theology or trying to um, finish that off. And I love thinking kind of theologically about things. So we're going to explore uh, what the very life of God has to tell us about the true notion of family and how he then invites us to speak about family. And then we're going to spend some time thinking about what the biblical truths held out to us in these passages we just read might practically mean for each one of us as we think about mission. And again, spoiler alert, it has something to do with family and what our own family looks like and what we think family is. So we've got two main points to make. First one's the theological one, which is God is a family making families. And secondly, therefore, we are a family making families. So God is a family making families, and we are a family making families. And for those of you who know Lydia Corbett, she was our curate here. She used this as a a topic of her final sermon before she left our church. And I think she nabbed it from a chap called John Mark Comer. I think he nabbed it from a chap called Miroslav Volf. That's what theologians do. They just nick each other's ideas, and I'm doing exactly the same thing. So to point one, God is a family making families. I want us to take a moment to explore the many kind of theological layers behind this sentence, and we're going to build it up a bit like a stack of pancakes. So apologies if you're hungry or you've given up sugar for Lent, like I have, um, because now I'm just going to be thinking about pancakes for the next five minutes. Okay, so first pancake, God is a family making families because it's in his very nature to do that. We talk a lot in the church about the Trinity, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, And one way that this kind of Trinitarian shape of God is so important is that it shows us that God, in God's very self, is love and hospitality and family. God doesn't need anyone else in order to be these things. If I want to show that I'm loving, I need someone to love. If I want to show that I'm hospitable, I need someone to welcome in and show them hospitality. Not so with God. In his very nature, God, as three in one, is inherently loving and hospitable. The Trinity really matters. As Tim Keller puts it, uh, he's a theologian and a pastor in America, he says, the life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutually self-giving love. Mutually self-giving love. God is a family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The early leaders of the Greek church described the Trinity as a joyful dance, and I've got a picture that kind of um, speaks to that uh, on the screen. It should just appear on the screen in a moment. Father, Son, and Spirit intertwining together in perfect familial unity. 
God is a family in his very being. You can kind of see this movement, this dance of love within the Trinity, within God. And that high kick over there on the side is just really something else. I'd love to be able to do that, but I'd rip my jeans, I think. Um, So it follows that if God is at the center of the universe, which we believe as Christians, everything revolves around God, then family is at the center of the universe. Community is at the center of the universe. Self-sacrificial love is at the center of the universe. So our first kind of pancake in the God is a family making families stack of pancakes. God as Trinity is a family. Family matters to God. Now pancake two, next one. God is a family making families because he has invited us to participate in his family. The perfect family unit, the Trinity, we are invited right into the middle of it. The Apostle Paul, when he's speaking in Athens in Acts 17, says, in him we live and move and have our being. And 1 John 4 tells us, whoever lives in love lives in God. There is space within the life of God for you and for me. There's a wonderful, creative, slightly bonkers theologian called Robert Jensen, who's brilliant. He died recently. And he says that God is roomy. God makes room for us to live in him. He actually also says that God is woomy and toomy, which I also just really love. Roomy, woomy, toomy. I mean, just so fantastic. But God is roomy, and there is always room for more in the family of God. He welcomes us in to participate in his family life. God says to each one of us this evening, come and be part of my family. Come and belong. And that invitation can be hard when our own experience of family has been painful or disappointing or complicated. But it's a deeply redemptive and restorative invitation. And it's absolutely critical real key point here for us to notice that the fact that God invites us into his perfect Trinitarian family to live and move and have our being within his family demonstrates to us that God's version of family, perhaps we'd say the kingdom version of family, is not just the biological version. It is much, much more than that. It shows us that being chosen to be part of a family is deeply and profoundly life-changing. And in this very act of inviting us into his family, God is also inviting us to do the same to others. And this may take some reimagining of the definition of family, of our own definitions of family, and we'll think more about that in a moment. Okay, so pancake one, we know God is a family making families because he exists in familial reality within the Trinity. Pancake two, we know God is a family making families because the Bible tells us he invites us into his family. And pancake three, final pancake, we know God is a family making families because we see it in the character and the behavior and the activities of Jesus, who is one of the Trinity family. Jesus is and always has been and always will be a member of the Trinity family. And we see all over the Gospels the invitation Jesus extends to those on the margins to come into the center. The disciples themselves were a fairly random bunch of outsiders. Zacchaeus, the woman at the well, vulnerable children. And let's look back at the passage. Imagine that you're just, just take a moment, imagine you're standing near Jesus surrounded by these crowds of people. The passage says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus is looking at this crowd, and they're full of anxiety, helpless, worried, stressed, and he has deep compassion. And I can just imagine Jesus thinking, they need people to love them. They need people to welcome them. Jesus' response is then to turn to his disciples and commission them. You need to love these people. The message version puts it like this. It says, when Jesus looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples, and how few workers. On your knees and pray for harvest hands. Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God as a family. In John 14, Jesus speaks of his father's house, which has many rooms. We sang about it earlier. Again, we see this reality of the roominess of God where we are all invited in. And Jesus epitomized the welcome of God in his life and ministry, both spiritually and very practically. His commission in this passage is a practical one. Workers in a harvest field, very practical imagery. And just a quick sidebar that I would just sort of like, sidebar over here, that I would just like to explore with you for a moment. Okay, so I've been a Christian for most of my life. And it actually wasn't until recently that a fairly major penny dropped for me. Um, I'm almost embarrassed to admit it, but it did. It dropped. This is the penny. Okay. When the Bible promises us that God will do something, whilst often this is because he does operate out of his own supernatural power, it often also means that he will use his people to achieve his ends. So when the Bible speaks of giving us comfort, of course there is that deep comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit. God gives us that gift, that beautiful peace that surpasses understanding, a sense of calm when things are hard, glorious and inexplicable joy even in the midst of suffering. That is the gift of God. But sometimes comfort is a call from your favorite aunt or a WhatsApp from a friend saying, I know you've had a rubbish week and I've made you some brownies. When can I drop them around? Similarly, in the life of Jesus, he met the spiritual and practical needs of those around him. So let's not assume this passage is only thinking or talking about the spiritual needs of the crowd. Perhaps Jesus is also thinking about where they're going to sleep and who's going to give them a place to belong. And it's a similar story in that very short psalm verse I read out earlier. When Psalm 68 tells us that God sets the lonely in families, it's saying two things. One, that God invites us into his own family, the lonely into family. But also, number two, God literally places the lonely in actual families through us. So the welcome and the hospitality action of God is inherently spiritual, but it's also inherently practical as demonstrated through Jesus. And of course, this also involves me and you. So we know that God is a family-making families because it's in his Trinitarian nature, because the Bible tells us that each one of us is invited into God's family, and because we see Jesus extending the practical inv invitation into God's family during his life and ministry. God is a family making families. So what does that mean for us now, here, today? We are a family making families too. In other words, we are a missional family. And when I say this, I sort of mean two things. One, that as a church, we are called to be a family, a family inviting others in. But two, this is kind of where I'm going to be for the next few minutes, within this church, we're lots of family units all coming together. And so how we conceive of what those smaller units are 
and what those smaller units are that make up the whole, that's what I want us to think about now because that's really important. What do we think of these kind of mini units of family that make up this big church family? So from now on, when I say the word family in this next part of this sermon, I want you to hear God's version of family, inherent welcome to those which goes beyond biological or marital ties, radical belonging for every single person. I was trying to think of an alternative word that I could start to use at this point in the sermon um, because it's kind of gospelish and it's hospitality and then I came up with gospitality and that's just the worst, cheesiest thing ever. We're not going to go there. We're leaving it here. Uh, I'm going to stick with family because gospitality is just absolutely awful. Um, But let's try and hold on to this idea. God's design for family. That's what I'm talking about. When I say the family unit, I do not mean quite frankly, married with 2.4 children. I mean God's idea of family. So if the invitation from God is to join his family, then we are called to offer the the very same invitation to others. We're called to follow his lead because the Bible tells us that we are made in the image of God. That's all over the Bible. We're made in the image of God. And that image is Trinity in its very nature, brimming with love and hospitality, inherently a family, available to all who wish to join. And so it figures then that if we're made in the image of a relational God, we are inherently relational people. We are made to be in families. It's instinctive within us. We're made to love and be loved. Now, I'm not on Instagram much, but I do follow this one account called The Good News Movement, which is just brilliant. It's just stories of good news from across the world to kind of counteract just the horrendous headlines that we are surrounded with, particularly at the moment. Um, And it's usually content, my favorite kind of content, like veterans being reunited with their dogs after months on tour. And then, and it's just beautiful, and the dog is crying, and the veteran is crying, it's just amazing. Or people like surprising family, having not been able to get to Australia for two years, and like dad doesn't know that, it's just really, really great stuff. Um, But one of my favorite videos, and one of the ones that stuck with me, you might have seen it, was these two toddlers. And I think they'd not seen each other for like the weekend. They were pals from kindergarten. Um, And they're in America. And they are either end of a street, and they see each other. They catch each other's eye, and they run towards each other, these tiny little people. And one of them's going, my friend, my friend. And they embrace. And the two dads are at the either end of the street, sort of trying not to look like they're, you know, about to lose it. But... It's absolutely instinctive in each one of us. It's completely part of who we are made to be, to want to connect with each other, to want to make that connection, to love and be loved. But the reality of our culture today is that there are a few things working against us as we seek to pursue a kingdom version of family. And I'm talking about both the general culture of the world and sometimes even the culture in our churches. Our culture today in the world at large is defined by individualism. Loneliness is at a record high. That instinct towards connection and love and mutual familial relationships is kind of being painted over by our culture's quest for personal fulfillment and individual success. I was watching a very popular show on Netflix recently. You may have seen it. It's called Queer Eye. Um, And the presenter, one of the presenters, Bobby, he looked directly into the camera and with not, a t- not even a hint of irony, he said in all seriousness, he said this, I wrote it down, this is word for word, he said, nothing feels better than living your truth and living your life for you. Nothing feels better than living your truth and living your life for you. That is our culture. If there is a banner over our culture today, that is it. Live your life for you. 
And that idol of individualism tells us that putting yourself first, seeking your own fulfillment as a primary goal is the best, in fact, the only way to a happy life. Okay, so that's the first kind of cultural norm that's working against us as we seek to be a family-making families. Individualism is rampant, and I think if we're not careful, we're going to start drinking that Kool-Aid if we haven't already. And the second is a little closer to home in our churches. I think there's a tragic irony that many churches across our land hold a view of family that's so narrow that many feel excluded, so unimaginative that perhaps those who don't want to get married or are unable to have birth children, or are divorced, or are single, feel less welcome than those who fit into the normal mold. Sorry. We can sometimes see in churches a culture that is so far removed from the kingdom-shaped family that God holds out to us, that vision that he holds out to us, that many, they turn up at churches And they feel more lonely when they leave than when they first arrived. There's just something I want us to understand here. Every single person in this church has the calling on them to make families. You might have arrived here feeling really lonely. Let me tell you that the invitation to come and belong here is absolutely extended to you, but it doesn't stop there. Because in God's kingdom, you, every single one of you, You have inviting to do as well. I fear that sometimes we talk about um, family and church and what we accidentally say is get your own family sorted first. So just get get that stuff sorted. Then look outwards. No, we're all called to receive welcome, absolutely. But we're all equally called to offer welcome as well. I don't want anyone here in this talk to be trying to work out which camp do I fall into? Am I the one who needs to be welcomed or the one who can do the welcoming? Which one do I sit in? No, it's both and for all of us. I don't want anyone sitting here thinking that it's anything other than that. That is the beauty of the gospel message. And so it's part of our job as Christians to remind the world that we are made in the image of a God who is a family making families. It's our privilege as the people of God to call out that instinct that's in all of us. It's there because we're made by a creator who has family at his core. That instinct to offer welcome and love. And the most exciting thing for me is that I believe the church can be known for doing this deeply and practically. The banner over this is mission, but really what we're talking about is love Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is calling his people to be prophetic in bringing his kingdom principles into the here and now. That's what Jesus talks about all the time. There's this kingdom coming, and it's going to look like this, and our job is to call that forward and and make it now. So we are invited to prophetically reimagine the family unit as something far more diverse, far less biological, far more sacrificial than perhaps we have previously pictured. And it is a dangerous exercise reimagining what your family might look like. But we see across the whole narrative arc of the Bible that we are getting very close to the heart of God when we think about making families in a way that does not just include who we're married to or who we're biologically related to. We're getting really close to the heart of God when we think in that way. And just as Jesus makes it clear in this passage that we have a part to play in making sure the harvest is gathered in, 
that lost people are brought home, the whole Bible makes it clear that spiritual welcome and practical welcome go hand in hand. We are part of God's plan to set the lonely in families. We are the workers in the field sent to love and welcome those who are lost, to offer the welcome of family belonging to those who don't know where they belong. And perhaps we're now thinking, well, how do I do that? What does it look like to rethink who my family is? Well, there are lots and lots of ways to do it, lots of examples all over the Bible. There's adoption, like Moses, kinship care with Ruth and Naomi and their family, communal living in the whole of Acts, loads and loads of ideas. But for now, for us now, I think one, I wonder whether it literally just starts at home. Maybe it starts with who we make ourselves available to who we prioritize, how we think about family, whether we allow ourselves to imagine that our family might include others, children in the care system who need a home, neighbors who are lonely, others in this very church. We have the somewhat privilege in London of being packed in like sardines, and there are tens, hundreds even, of people in your immediate vicinity each one of us in our immediate vicinity who need to experience the kingdom version of family. Who are we making ourselves available to? Who do we give our time to? And whose offer of time do we accept? Perhaps let's start by looking around at the people who literally, I'm talking literally, live right next door to us and start there. It's a lot easier to love our neighbors if we know who they are. Joe and I have the privilege of knowing many of our neighbors really well. Uh, we've increasingly tried to make the choice to not do other things so that we could have time with our neighbors in our road and around in our building. And one particular experience rather caught us by surprise. And this was really due to COVID and the fact that all of our lives got turned upside down and our normal rhythm stopped. And suddenly we looked around and said, wow, who do I live near? Who am I around? Well, we met one particularly cantankerous neighbor uh, on the day that we moved into our flat about seven years ago. And the first we heard of her was a rather indignant squawk coming from the balcony above us when Joe decided to light a barbecue on day one um, of being in our new flat. You can't have barbecues in this building, we heard from the balcony above. But slowly but surely, Barbara became a friend. A bit of shopping here and there. During the first lockdown, she got a bit physically weaker, so we began having cups of tea. And if I'm honest, they were incredibly awkward. Barbara didn't have any friends or family, and so we didn't really know what to talk about. And the first time we had her over for a cup of tea, she lasted about seven minutes and then wanted to go back up to her flat again. But during, the, um, yeah, during that time, during lockdown, we became firm friends. And before long, it was Christmas time. And the thought of leaving her on her own was absolutely unthinkable. So we had Christmas with her. She had become our family. It was the only word to describe her. It wasn't anything dramatic, but our friendship with Barbara taught us hugely about the love of God and the preciousness of just being available. We often joked that we didn't realize we had a Barbara-shaped hole in our lives until we met her. And Barbara died this January, and we got to be with her in that time as well. And she died knowing she was loved. And perhaps more importantly, she died knowing that we knew that she loved us. We learned holy and beautiful things as we became family together. And I think one of the things that I want to say about that particularly is that 
It wasn't um, a chore or a service. It was just being together. That was it. It was as simple as that. And I think that kind of redefinition or that rethinking of what family is, we kind of see that in the prodigal uh, son, the running father story. You know, the father shifted the goalposts of what was kind of culturally accepted about family at the time. He shouldn't have accepted his son back, but he did. Where are we called to kind of shift the goalposts of our understanding of what family looks like? It's not a redefinition. It's a returning to the original design of family that is in God's very Trinitarian nature, and it's demonstrated in the life of Jesus. Another example or a way that we can return to the biblical concepts of family is to consider fostering or adoption or supported lodgings for teenagers or getting involved in safe families, thinking about how we can offer welcome and open up our families in this way. Let me share a short story with you, which was shared with Home for Good, the charity I work for, by a recently approved foster carer. She says, our first foster child came to us during the summer holidays. A little boy who at two years old had already lived with four different families and who had just been separated from his two siblings. We were told a lot of information about him before he arrived, one important detail being that he really loves dinosaurs. So in those days leading up to his arrival, we turned our spare room into his bedroom. Together with our youngest birth daughter, we gathered dinosaur-themed bed linen, curtains, and other decorations. She loved picking out special things to make him feel at home. She couldn't wait to tell him on the day he arrived, this is your bedroom here. He stepped through the doorway and placed his little teddy on the bed. This is my bedroom, he repeated back to us. That is family. And please hear me when I say you do not have to be married to do any of these things. You don't have to own a home. You don't have to have a five-year plan. But I believe that for many of us in this congregation, actually, particularly at the five, the time is now to really think and pray about how we want to form our families and hear that kingdom version of that word when I say it. How do we want to form our families? Families that are diverse and accepting and places of safety for those beyond who we're related to. Where might adoption or fostering fit in? As we decide where to live and what jobs to do and where to spend our time and money, are we allowing God's version of family to mix into our imagination? Making families in God's way is not arduous. It's actually not a heavy burden. It's not spending down on some kind of spiritual bank account that gets topped up. It's all gift. My relationship with Barbara taught me so much about God's love for her and also God's love for me. She taught me so much about that, about the simplicity of love. And I think sometimes as Christians, we get into this mindset, almost like I need to get filled up and know that I'm loved by God, and then I'll go and like spend that love on other people as if it kind of deletes or depletes our, our kind of store of God's love. I think that's a false dichotomy, actually, because I think we can absolutely receive the love of God as we build families in this way. And so, of course, it's really important, don't hear me wrong, it's important that we understand that we're loved because otherwise we get into works and trying to earn our way into the kingdom, which is a bad idea. But what I mean is it's not this kind of um, get topped up, really think about myself and how much God loves me and then like spend. It's just like all kingdom work in Jesus' name. I don't know if that's very clear, but I just think let's not mistakenly think we have to be filled up 
and truly 100% understand the love of God in our own lives before we can then reach out to others. That's actually not, I think, what God's hoping we get up to. God's invitation to make families that are diverse and messy is because it's good for us to be in families that are diverse and messy. The kingdom of God will be beautifully diverse and messy and joyful. And I sometimes wonder when Jesus returns whether he'll say, what is all this neatness? What are all these boundaries and sort of neat picket fence families? Not quite sure I recognize the hallmarks of kingdom family. Because the hallmarks of a family in the kingdom of God are deep love and acceptance and availability and welcome. Far less biology, far less closed doors and demarcated family lines. It's a picture we're called to lean into as church, a vision to hold out to the rest of the world as we say, come and belong here in my family, because that is what Father God has said to us. And in turn then, perhaps those who don't fit into the mold for whatever fabricated reasons we might have come up with in our churches, perhaps those will begin to feel more easily to find places of belonging in our churches because Our churches are filled with family units, kingdom family units, that are not just about marriage and children. They're diverse in age and ethnicity and socioeconomic background and education and and all sorts of backgrounds. Surely that's the way to ensure deep welcome is offered to every single person who steps into the church, because they see something different, a family making families. I'm going to finish in a sec. So the very life and nature of our Trinitarian God is geared towards setting the lonely in families. And we have a part to play, reflecting that perfect family of the Trinity, reminding the world that we are made in the image of a God who is a family making families and responding to the call to do the same. There are people today in the streets where we live who are in need of a family. And I believe it's the calling of this church, of every church, to be at the forefront of a return to biblical concepts of family. And when we grasp this, the word missional becomes redundant. We're just family. Amen. One of the things when I was uh, praying for this evening, for you guys, um, that I felt prompted to do, if we've got time, a little bit of time, um, is just to, actually, can we all stand up? I had a sense, I had this in the morning as well, that if we're talking about a kingdom version of family, we need the Holy Spirit to come and work in our imaginations. And I just really feel that there are some tonight who God wants to um, inspire. He wants to give you the gift of his Holy Spirit to release your imagination for what family might look like for you. And I have a sense that this tonight might be a moment for some of you, a moment like a, you know, one of those dates that you will remember because God inspired you in some way in this area of family. So I'm just going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and move um, and then we'll see what happens. Father God, the one who welcomes us in. We pray for your Holy Spirit to come now, for you to walk among your people, for you to intertwine with our imaginations as we think about family, 
as we think about where we are now, each of us in our individual lives, and we think about our futures, and we think about our plans, we think about our hopes and our dreams, those that are coming true, those that aren't, would you come and intermingle with all of those things, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, and would you inspire us? Inspire us kind of on your agenda, your agenda for the, for the lost, your agenda for those who don't have a family. Give us ideas. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and inspire your people. We are here. We want to hear from you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit.